an honor and a privilege indeed to be with you all. And it was a divine connection in Albania. I spoke a bit more about that on Friday during the first meeting, so I'm not going to take away more time to repeat those things. What I would like to focus on, though, is why there was this divine connection with Pastor Yuri and another three wonderful, what was it, two brothers and a sister uh, that came in January in Albania. And there is also this couple that I suppose you know, Daryl and Debbie, who are missionaries to Albania. And um, there was something that I said spontaneously at the time when I spoke about them in, in, in what was a two-day prayer gathering in which we sought the face of God and His living instruction for the new year, 2023, it was the beginning of January, for Albania, for the region, for our ministries. And, you know, I did not know these people, which means actually you. <laughs> but when I experienced being in an atmosphere of prayer and seeking the Lord together, something, something in my heart made me feel this is a very special group of people. And this is a very special leader. And eventually, <laughs> something came out of my mouth, which I was thinking over and over. My God, what did I say? What did I say? Now, before I tell you what came out of my mouth publicly during that meeting, you need to know that I've come to the States since... To, I've been coming to the States since 2001. I know I've been to, I think, 15 States and dozens of places and, I don't know, 25, 30 times or something... So I know a lot of people, I know a lot of ministries, and I've been also around the world in many places. I know a lot of ministries. And what I said was, among all the churches and the people and the leaders that I know, I would categorize you among the top, and I said five. And then I was thinking, my God, I mean, there are so many good ministries. Why did I say top five? Was I being too dramatic or something. But the more I was thinking about it, the more I thought, it's not even five, it's probably among the top three. I never said that, but why? Well, the why has to do with the message that I will eventually teach or share this morning. It's a combination of factors that make the difference between the genuine and that which I cannot call fake. But it's something like you have a glass of water. The question is, is it pure? Or even a drop of mud has fallen into it. Because even if a drop of mud has fallen into a glass of clean water, you think twice before drinking it. So you can't call that water fake. It's still genuine water. The question is, how happy are you to drink it? And so the more I was understanding the heart of Pastor Yuri, and the more I was seeing how the four of them, plus the two in Albania, were interacting and revealing the heart of God, the more I was thinking, wow, I haven't met such people in a long time. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to offend you a little bit, but I don't mean any offense. It's been a while that I haven't seen people like that coming from America. Sorry. Sorry. A lot of mud going around in America. I'm so sorry about that. We need some real water purificators. Purifiers, what's the right word? Anyway, so that being said, you know, I'm tempted to tell you a few of the factors. I'm going to try a little bit without going into teaching mode, but I think one of them, Alexandria already pointed out, the Father's heart. And let me tell you something. No performer on the stage can have a Father's heart. And no one with a father's heart can turn into Hollywood performance 
to enthuse anybody. You just can't get the two together. You can try your best, but if, if what you mostly want is to impress, then that's not a father's heart. That's a performer's attitude. Because a father's heart wants the best for the children of God. And sometimes the interest of a father's heart is at great conflict with the need of a performer to impress. But I'll switch out of that mode of teaching right now. And the other factor, the other major factor, which is the subject of this day's teaching, is the heart of worship. However, I'm going to give it a different name. Is the attitude that is revealed when someone has grown into our calling and nature to be a priest unto God. And I saw people that had been baptized into the priesthood, which is really what Christianity is all about for those who know what Christianity is about, which is the subject of this morning, by the way. But before I get into the subject, I would like to invite my friend from London, Robert. Please come, Robert. We've been walking together with Robert since 2008 and then mostly 2010. And uh, Robert came so that he could be with us at this time. And he has a few words to share, which I felt would be beneficial to all. You know, my wife heard some of the words that Robert shared with our family, spiritual family, and she was excited, and she was like, she was really excited, and I thought, maybe others will also be excited to hear what Robert has to say. I'm not too sure about that. Anyway, uh, my name is Robert Houslin. I am a part of a house of prayer in Luton, England called Bethel, and I have that with my darling wife, Denise, a faithful friend, Leslie, and Denise's sister, Lorraine. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) And I just want to greet you all, Pastor Yuri, his amazing wife, Amanda, and the Freedom Fellowship family in the mighty name of Jesus. And I just want to thank you for this brief time. I will keep it brief. I'm a teacher, so I know how to talk. Um, But I will keep this brief. It's been quite a testing time this weekend. The Lord is calling us to a new year. He's calling us to a new place. And George has so eloquently taught. I've known George. Uh, George is my spiritual father, by the way. I met him when a time when my father was passing. And the Lord knew exactly who I needed to shepherd me into, my, into this place I am now. And one thing the Lord continues to speak to me about, remember this is a challenging time, is about us understanding identity. Not not an identity that we have based on where we were born, an identity that he knew us to have before we were born. This identity requires us to put some things down. But it also requires us to understand that we have spoken vows into our lives since we were young. These vows are places which usually we have taken up in places of pain and hurt and disappointment and early experiences. These vows are like, I will never. Let me give you some examples. Trust. Submit. Accept, be alone, be a Democrat. (laughs) I thought thought that made you laugh. (laughs) Or other vows like, I will always be successful, look perfect, make people like me, be Republican. Let me just describe this as a place which I call inner turmoil, especially 
But these places of inner turmoil aren't inner turmoil to us. We don't see them as turmoil. We actually look at them as being the places that we exist, the places that we live, the places that we accept. I am. But I believe the Lord is saying to us at this moment, these protectors need to go. They keep us far from him. Pastor Yuri mentioned about the Lord wanting to draw us closer. But these protectors, these I will, these I will always are keeping us from him. And we don't even sometimes know this. And I just wanted to end really, because it really is quick, with a scripture that we all know. And it's from Jeremiah 1, 4 to 8. And it says this. Then the Lord, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That word knew is a, is a word that's also the word in the Hebrew word in Genesis that says, Adam knew Eve. It is a word of intimacy. It is a word of connection. You connected with the, the, the Most High God before you were born. It goes on to say, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And this is Jeremiah's response. This is Jeremiah's vow. O Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. Think about the vows we make when the Lord comes to us and says to us, this is what I want you to do. But do you realize, Lord, what you're asking me? That's what we say, things like that. Do you realize? Do you know how hard that person is? Do you know how horrible that person is? Do you know what that person has done to me? Do you, re- done the, do you know what that nation has done to me? But the Lord said to me, do not say... I am a youth. You can put anything you want to with the I am a youth. But the Lord is saying, do not say. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. The Lord is saying, it is time. It is time time. These things need to be released, revoked, rebuked from us. But first we need to know what they are. But the Lord is saying, come, it is time. Thank you. The question is, what is it time for when we take it out of the context of what Robert spoke and bring it into the context that Pastor Yuri mentioned about a beginning of a new season, of a new era. Now, I have to say just a few words about our meeting in January, but that's for the purpose of helping us all understand that when we live our daily lives moment to moment, when we wake up in the morning and go to work, It's very easy to see life just as it always was. And then we've got the news, TV, you know, everything is bombarding us. Then we have fellowship with friends and it's so much chatter. There is so much information that is mostly filled by the world and everything that is in it. And you know, the Bible explains in 1 John 5, 19 that the world actually is under the sway of the evil one, or as the original says, is in the wicked one. So when we allow the world to speak to us more and louder than we allow the Lord to speak to us, we can get distracted, we can get disoriented, we can miss turning points. Listen, if you drive a car and you miss a turn, You'll be lucky if you find yourself in the fields. You won't be so lucky if you find yourself going down a cliff. So it's as bad if we miss turning points 
because we fail to listen to the voice of the Lord. And I want to tell you something. Coming out of the three years, the first three years of the new decade, which began in 2020, or at least that's the number that we know. But in the Hebrew calendar, it's the decade of the 80s because it was the 5,780 according to the years since God gave the calendar to Moses. And number 80, and I'll keep it really short, I'm not going to go down that path, has to do with sanctification, resurrection, and priesthood. And so the banner that the Lord has lifted up over the whole decade has to do with sanctification, which basically releases the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And that is to establish a priesthood in the earth that can cause the kingdom of God to manifest in the earth. Not just through salvation, which is but the door to the kingdom. But beginning with the individual salvation to enter into a household that actually we are being built up into one as we become members of one another and through having koinonia fellowship with each other so that we can be the dwelling place of God in the earth. And you know, that is a very, very different gospel to the gospel of salvation, to the gospel of prosperity, to the gospel of you have to do so that God loves you, to the gospel of whatever name you want to give it. There are so many gospels out there. But the gospel of the kingdom has to do with priesthood being built up into the household of God to be a dwelling place of God in the earth, that means that the light that is in heaven is in the earth and shines in such a way that the ecclesia, I purposefully refrain from saying church, that the ecclesia becomes a city set on a hill, not doing religious services or entertainment meetings, but being the light of God in such a way that is an embassy of the third heaven down in, on earth. And so that being the banner that the Lord raised up over the decade, guess what's the first thing that strikes? Death. You say, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. How, how come death strikes? Because God comes to reveal His holiness. Well, if you have that question, you have not been reading your Bible. Because holiness begins with death. First, the death of our flesh. We have to burn it on the altar. Then the death of our desires, ambitions, fears, insecurities, what I want, what I don't want, and definitely the gospel of me, myself, and I. Oh, that's the best trinity of them all. Me, myself, and I. I can write a huge gospel for me, myself, and I. And I'll give you a God that you can't refuse. Because his first purpose in life is to love me. But romantically as I want him to. So death struck... Because that's what happens when the Lord visits his people. He comes to separate the goats from the sheep. He comes to find out who are alive and who have a name that they're alive but they're dead. If you haven't read the words of Jesus to the church in Sardis, please go to Revelation chapter 3 and read it. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. So when the Lord allows death to strike, it's so that those who have his life in can manifest that they are alive beyond the capacity of death to touch them. Death brings another thing. It's called fear. But those who have already died have nothing to fear. So death serves the purpose, if anything else, to reveal what's inside of us. Because if there is fear inside of us, it means we do not live in the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. 
So actually God did us a favor to allow death to prevail so that we could find out which houses were not just called houses of God, but really had the blood on the doorposts. Because you know, the houses that have the blood of Jesus on the doorposts, the angel of death has to pass over. Are you with me? So that's what happened the first three years. But then something shifted. As we got into 2023, the season of death was over and a new outpouring of life was at hand. And the Lord got us started on a seven-year cycle, leading us up to the end of 2019, which is preparing us, preparing the body of Christ for what is to come in the next decade, which in our calendar is the 30s, great number number three. But it's also important that in the Hebrew calendar is the 90s, and nine Wow, don't get me going. We can do maybe seven years down the road. But we are being prepared for what is to come in the next decade. And we are now, we have already started going in the process of these seven years. And it's going to be a growing and increasing and multiplying a plan and a project and a campaign that is growing in every way you can imagine because life is springing forth after three years of death. So what that means also is that the beginning of the seven years was a time of new connections, was a time of new strategy, a time of new directions, a time of new assignments, amongst which there was something that the Lord showed me it was in Athens that he showed it to me. But then when I met Yuri, I began to sense that it was related to him as well. And I began to realize, and especially by now I've come to, to sort of know it, that something, let me rephrase, that what I knew for my country was also the same thing that God has been working here in America. So let me try to say it as briefly as I can. There was a pastor's dinner in 2019, and all the heads of the born-again community, or most of them were there. The people that you could call the fathers of the church of my nation were there. But I tell you what, in that room, that evening, I realized and I said to my wife, actually my wife asked me at the end, she said, so what do you think? And I said, what I think is right now, the body of Christ in Greece has no head. The mantle for headship, for fatherhood, for leadership has been removed and right now we do not have a head. And I'm not talking about a person. I'm talking about headship authority, which is like a mantle, which is usually given upon a group of individuals that would resemble what happened in Jerusalem, where you had the three, James, John, and Peter, but then you had the 12. And I said, the mantle has been taken away. I don't know what's going to happen now, but right now, the body of Christ is in Greece is without a head. As we were talking with Yuri these days, it became clear in me that the same thing happened in the States. The mantle for leadership in the Church of America was taken away at the turn of the decade. And in this time, in this season, the Lord is emerging the new fathers of the nation. And because that's not quite what I want to say today and time is passing, I will not expound more on it. But I want to tell you something. And I don't mean it as a compliment just for the sake of causing you to like me. I'm telling you this is something I genuinely felt. And I'll, you know, I will say it from my perspective. Please allow me this selfish statement. 
I felt, quote unquote, lucky, the true word is blessed, and definitely privileged that I came to know, I came into fellowship with a ministry in the States that has been taken out from the multitude and, you know what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, that God takes the weak and the least and those who are not to make them, okay, I'm not going to continue. So can I say you're probably lucky to be part of this community? But the word lucky is not the right word. You're blessed to be part of this community. And I believe the Lord has a lot in store. If you see it selfishly, a lot in store for you. If you see it from the perspective of the kingdom, the Lord has a lot for you to accomplish for the kingdom. And it's one of the reasons why I feel privileged to be now your friend because I've always been kingdom-minded. I was never concerned about what the me, myself, and I want. I was always focused on what the kingdom needs so that the kingdom can advance because that's what I live for, literally. So I was talking about priesthood. Let me give you a little story so that you can understand more the few words that I can tell you in this little time I have because the subject requires a seminar, but that will not serve the purpose of this morning. This morning, it's a seed that needs to come in you, and the seed will do the job. So listen to this. It is the year 2000. It's the time that the Lord specifically instructed me to resign or to leave the church that I had been a part of in Athens. It was actually an American church in Athens that the Lord had led me to join about three years earlier. And I was used in that church as a translator, and I was the prayer leader as well. And the Lord gave me a clear instruction. Um, what's the word in English? Um, well, I'll say it like this, separate yourself to find your place in the body of Christ. That's what he told me. Separate yourself. I was even refusing to listen. It didn't make sense to me and I needed everything to make sense. <laughs> and so one day he literally said it to me in classical Greek, in what you know as Koine Greek, the biblical Greek. And I thought, well, I couldn't have possibly thought that. So, okay, yes, sir, I got it. Okay, okay, I'm going to retreat. I'm going to resign. I'm going to go out of that church even though I don't get it. I don't understand it. And so, the next Sunday, I was thinking to myself, sir, where am I going to go? It's Sunday. Where am I going to go? And the Lord specifically instructed me to go to a particular monastery, Greek Orthodox monastery, which was not far from my home, which, of course, had a... Uh, Orthodox church, temple is a better word for it, and there was the liturgy of Sunday morning. So I went there wondering, why am I here? And to cut a long story short, the Holy Spirit pointed out the priest, and the priest could not care less about the people who were there. The place was packed. It was so packed that there were masses outside of the building in the, in the yard. I was actually stunned to see so many people for the Sunday morning liturgy. Most of them, obviously, if not all of them, not even born again, but very religious people. And so my eyes were stuck on that priest. He could not care less about one soul around him. Everything he was saying and doing, I could see him. He was doing it before God. Now, you need to understand something. I had been trained for years, first as a Baptist, then as a Pentecostal. <laughs> I had never seen someone ministering to the Lord. I always knew that ministry is ministering to people. And even though it is mentioned clearly in Acts 13, 
Because those five men whose names are mentioned there, they were, and the Greek there is the verb liturgeo, from which comes liturgy, those five men that Paul and Barnabas were among them, they were, let me say that, liturgy to the Lord. Okay, I said something that doesn't make sense because it's not a verb, but it's okay, you know what I mean. So they were liturgy to the Lord. And for the first time it clicked and I realized that in the New Testament, it, only one place, only one word explains the entire priesthood of the Old Testament. The entire priesthood of the Old Testament was about one thing, ministering to the Lord. Going inside the tabernacle to minister to the Lord. And a whole new world opened up before me. It took me three years to explore that concept a bit deeper. And in the third year, the Lord said to me, I want you to start a house of prayer in the center of Athens. Spare you a lot of information and details. Fast forward to the beginning of the services. First, just me, me and my wife, just the two of us. We didn't have people following us at that time. There were people coming to our house meetings, but they belonged in their churches. So we started our house of prayer, and it's just my wife and I. And the Lord taught us what it is to minister to the Lord. And there were so many questions I had, and there were so many issues that I needed to get deeper into. For example, one of my questions to the Lord was this. You, to me, seem to be rather simple, straightforward. Father, son, simple. Why in the Old Testament were you so peculiar, so particular? Why did you have to tell Moses to do all those things, all those furnishings, all, you know, that tabernacle of Moses in the desert? Why all these details? Why were you so religious in the Old Testament? And the Lord simply answered to me, that is a process of prayer. And I said, huh? Of course, I, I can't even begin to explain it now, but I'll tell you something. That process of prayer changed my world and actually changed the world of other people too. Maybe I'll try to give you very quickly an example. A friend of mine, he was given an offer to resign from his work. He was a manager. To work for another company to do the same work, but for that other company. And he, he was a Pentecostal, a man of prayer, every morning 6 a.m. in prayer for half an hour at least. So he prayed for a month. And then we met for coffee, and he said, George, you know, I prayed for a month, and I decided to turn down the offer. But I think he, he might have said something like, that's what I felt the Lord told me or whatever. But the Holy Spirit filled me, and I said to him, it was not God who spoke to you. It was your fear who spoke to you. He said, well, how can you say that? I said, you want to come with me? Let's go to my house and pray. And I'm going to take you through a process of prayer. And then when we're done, let's see what happens. So he came and I walked him into the holy place before the throne of grace in the Holy of Holies. About three to four hours later, I said to him, so what's happened? What happened? And he said to me, I saw myself signing my letter of resignation. He came to my house being determined that he is not going to let go of his job. But when I took him through the process of prayer of the tabernacle of Moses, when I took him through the principle of the priesthood, he was able finally to break free from his soul, his mind, his experience, his fears, his worries and insecurities. And he finally heard from the Lord 
Three months after he resigned, that company he was working for went bankrupt. He would have been unemployed. So I just gave you a hint of the power of the priesthood. You know what it does? It releases the genuine voice of the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 3, in verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. What's the key word here? The key word which many of us may theoretically know, but practically we have no clue what it means, is that Jesus is not only the apostle, but he is also the high priest. Why am I saying most of us have no clue what it means? I'll tell you immediately. Because if he is the high priest, then we are called to be his holy priesthood. Can I challenge you with this? May I challenge you with this? Because I know I can. But may I? If all you know about yourself is that you are saved by grace, you have no clue what the priesthood is. You have not yet discovered Jesus the high priest. Let me give you another example. A very different approach. And this is a real life experience. My experience. So it's about 2002 if I remember well. Maybe one. I am in, no in Norway for ministry. Back then I was ministering regularly in Norway. And um, a group of prophets came to one of my meetings in Oslo. And they asked me if I would go to minister to them. And so they invited me to a place where they were gathering. And so I went with them. I knew all of them were prophets. I knew their leader. And so we went into an evening of some sharing, some teaching, lots of worship. And then the presence of the Lord descended into the room. And then I began to minister prophetically to them. And to each one of them... I ministered as the Spirit of God was giving through me. So to one I would prophesy, to another I would just minister healing, to another whatever. Most of them, when I ministered to them, they eventually fell to the ground basically worshiping the Lord. And um, there was one man who when I went to him, I just put my hand on his forehead for a little bit, said nothing, moved away. So when it was over and the presence of the Lord ascended, departed, left, and it was very clear. That man invited me close to him and, and he said, George, you, you prayed. I mean, everybody fell down. You spoke words to everyone. With me, nothing happened. Would you please pray for me? And of course, out of a good heart and really, you know, like compassion, so to speak, I said, of course, my brother. And so I began to speak in tongues and pray and I tried to connect with the Spirit of God. And very soon I had a prophetic word. And so I began to prophesy to him. But what's your favorite food? Give me a name, somebody. Well, I'm talking about a cooked food. <laughs> so, you know, you, you know the cooked food you love and you know its smell, right? Okay? You know the smell of the food you like. Now, imagine somebody brings you the food that you like and it has a different smell. And you go like, that's not the food that I like. No, it looks just the same. No, 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 no. The smell is different. And so I stopped. I said, Lord, what's going on? There's something that's off. And I had a brief conversation with him. And eventually I told him, listen, please disregard every word I said and give me a little time. I need to pray and understand what's going on. 
And so I began to pray. I said, Lord, you need to speak to me. And eventually he did. And he said this to me. When I came into the room, I ministered to each one as I wanted. I did not want to minister to that man because all he wants is a word from the gods. He does not care where the word will come from. He didn't humble himself when I didn't speak. He didn't come to me to say, Lord, why did you not speak to me? He came to you and almost with a rebuking voice demanded that you give him a word. He said, that's divination. What you heard, what you released was divination because that's what he invited. And I was like, oops, ooh. Okay, so that makes me a false prophet? No, it doesn't. It makes me a person who went away from the presence of the Lord and acted on my own, not serving him and his will, but serving the will of a man. So with my spirit... And my capacity to enter into the spirit realm, I encountered the spirit that was over that man. The spirit of divination. And by that spirit I began to speak. Because I had the capacity to do that. But the spirit was not the spirit that I know from the holy place where I minister to the Lord. In fact, I had a terrible experience with the ministry. My wife and I had chosen to walk with that ministry for a number of years. The Lord had commended that ministry to us as a squadron of eagles. In fact, we did learn a lot. They were prophets to the nations. So we were part of that ministry for a season of our lives until something went wrong. We were doing a conference in Israel, and uh, the key leader was an amazing prophet, so accurate that everybody always went like, oh my God. But that time in that conference, they were prophesying over me, and I noticed a little something. That person was prophesying over me and then stopped for a split second. And I saw his eyes, and his eyes just did a little something, and then continued to prophesy, but immediately I knew that's not the Spirit of God. And immediately manipulation came out. Of course, the result was that my wife and I gently withdrew from that ministry, but the point is this, if we do not know the holy presence of the Lord in the holy place where we go in prayer. Not only can we be deceived, chances are that we will be deceived. Not only can we be misled by another spirit, but statistically we shall definitely be deceived and misled by another spirit. For the only place of safety out of which we can operate is that deep place of intimacy inside the tabernacle, the holy place, where is the lampstand, the menorah, where the light, it's a holy light, where there is the golden altar of incense, where the incense of intercession is lifted up before the quote-unquote nostrils of God. Where is the showbread which is holy and to me represents not just the manna from heaven, but the word of God, but not just the logos word of God, but the living voice. If we don't know how to be, if we have not been enough times in fact, if we have not been daily in the holy place, if we have not become priests of God, if all we are is just born again, saved children of God, 
the spirit of the world, the spirit of deception, and a host of other spirits not only can be with us, but they can be using us without us knowing. How many of you may have passed on to others, whether it was COVID or just a, in, a flu, without you knowing? The virus came to you, you passed it on, you did not even know it. I'm telling you the same thing can happen in the spirit realm. And it takes a priest who knows the high priest to discern the genuine from that which may be originally clean water, but drops of something else fell, fell in. Pastor Yuri, how many minutes do I still have? Sorry? Let's read from Hebrews chapter 5. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. I'm actually reading to you the job requirement for the priests of God. That's the high priest, but that's also the job of the priest. So we have been appointed by God in things pertaining to God that we may offer to God gifts and sacrifices for sins. Of course, I'm talking New Testament era, New Testament dispensation. I'm talking about a life of prayer in which we do not pray for me, myself, and I, but we pray for the plans and purposes. We pray for the, for the will of God. We pray for the kingdom of God. Yes, of course, we also discuss our individual issues. But the, Jesus said that when we first, first, first seek the kingdom of God and His, I know your English Bibles say righteousness, think more in the word justice pertaining to legal system, court. It's mistranslated. It's not righteousness per se. It is legal justice. When we seek God's kingdom and His legal justice, then everything pertaining to our life is taken care of by Him. Both the kingdom and the subject of the legal justice pertains to the priesthood, but I need a whole teaching to explain that. I'll just explain to you that it is through priestly intercession that justice can be given against the injustices of the perpetrator, the adversary, the destroyer. Because whenever he, he has capacity and legal right to function against us, it's because he has the legal right. You remember Revelation chapter 12? And the accuser of the brethren who was accusing day and night before God was cast down. Still, many Christians believe that all our sins are taken care of on the cross. Well, then, on what basis is the accuser accusing you? Never connected the dots, did you? Something is off with our theology. Not with the Bible. The Bible is clear. But we have presented the Bible the way our intellect wants to explain it, that we can feel, ah, I'm okay now. No, you're not. And you know that because you look at yourself in the mirror and you know what you're looking at and you're not looking at a picture of God on earth. I am not. I know what's inside of me. I know what I need to confess before God. So, it is through priestly intercession that we can overcome the accusations of the devil and apply legal justice. It's all about the blood of Jesus, but it has to do with knowledge how to. At any rate, let me go to verse 5 and let me leave you with some key scriptures about Jesus before I close. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. But it was he who said to him, You're my son, today I have begotten you, as he also says in another place. 
You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, please understand the following scriptures in the context of our life in Christ. Who in the days of his flesh, I live in my flesh, I hope you're also human as I am. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Jesus was not heard because he was a son of the house. Jesus was heard because he feared God. And apparently he was not playing theater when he was offering prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears. Do anybody think he was playing theater? What was he doing? He was being a priest unto God. How important was that? Read on. Though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. If you have ever received a gospel that there is no suffering in it, you know that it was not the Holy Spirit. If you are a son of God, you will learn through suffering. You will learn through obeying. You will learn through becoming that which we were born to be. And having been perfected, does anybody in this room need to be perfected? Because if we need to be perfected, it means all sufferings are there to lead us to perfection. He became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. I'm glad verse 11 is here. It was true back then, it's still true today. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. I'm just reading, I'm not telling you anything. 